Why are people so wanting to believe this thing that isn't true? Clean Slate, New Ideas for Justice and Democracy, Episode 6, Truth, Lies, and Tools of Mass Deception. One of the most important ideas I've ever come across in communications or media and propaganda is the concept of paltering, putting together a series of true statements to create a false impression. And that brings me to Larry Wilmore. He's a complete genius. I like him for lots of reasons. He's a truly brilliant and hilarious award-winning writer, producer, and comedian. And he has the ability to distill these observations and truths in ways that is really rare. He was a writer and a producer on a series of incredibly funny television shows. He was the comedian at the White House Correspondents' Dinner with President Obama, the very last one. And again, he has some of the most incredible insights you've ever heard into both communications and politics because he's a stand-up comedian, a writer, he cares about words. And on Larry's podcast, Black on the Air, from January 16th, 2021, just 10 days after the January 6th assault in the U.S. Capitol, He helped explain communications and even political propaganda in a way that opened my eyes. It was incredibly powerful and perceptive based on insights derived from the deliberate deception that is crafted as part of being a stage magician. You know, I've worked in politics and dealt with communications for a long time, but really helped me gain these incredible new insights into how we are deceived between lies, truth, and something even more insidious, which is paltering. Now, I'll quote Larry at length because he deserves it. I'm just going to take some audio from his uh, from his podcast, which really, y- you should listen to it. Um, you know, he's a great interviewer, but I like the stuff he says best. Anyway, uh, I'll leave it to Larry to explain. I wanted to make one point here, if you will indulge me for a bit. As a writer, I really like to focus on the words that we use. And, you know, I can be a nerd about language and that kind of stuff. And I love all my nerds out there who are listening to me who are language nerds and that type of thing. I see you. But language is important. The words that we choose to use is very important. They can be very powerful, you know, or they can be not so powerful, depending on how you use them. But there's been a word that we have been using with Donald Trump that I don't think has served up a purpose very well right now. And that word is lie. And I've used it as well. We've called Donald Trump a liar from the beginning, and he is a liar. You know, he lies all the time about things. You know, he would lie about the color of the sky. The man is so used to lying, he just can't stop it. You know, the biggest example of lying, of course, is saying that he won this election in a landslide, which is a straight-up lie, you know. And, you know, we all call that out. It's very easy to see. It's pretty transparent. But there's something else going on here, you guys. It's the people who are believing this bothers me. Because lies can be pretty transparent, and some lies can be easily disproven. Like this lie about the stolen election is a pretty easily disproven lie. So what else is going on here? Why are people so wanting to believe this thing that isn't true? And so I had to think to myself, uh, I should give you a little background. Some of you already know this. One of my hobbies is uh, magic, close-up magic in particular. I'm a member of the Magic Castle. Loved it since I was a kid. I love watching uh, this art form. 
there's some incredible artists out there who are brilliant at, at magic and that type of thing. And I've loved it since I was a kid, right? And magicians are involved in something that is not quite a lie. There's a better word for it, and it's called deception, okay? And it feels like it's the same thing, but it's not quite. It's a little more subtle. And I believe the reason why it's been hard for people like me or people on the left, maybe, or whoever, to get our heads around how people could believe such lies of Donald Trump, because it's a little deeper than that. Donald Trump has been involved in a mass deception, I think is a better way to explain this, rather than just the simplicity of what a lie is. And let me go a little further in this. And let me define a couple of terms. Actually, I, I was, I thought about this because I was reading, I was doing some research for myself in one of my magic books. And if you're interested in what this is, uh, you can send me a message or something. I'll give you more information if you're into magic. But, uh, there's this book that, uh, it was talking a little bit about theory and was defining deception. And I'll read a little bit of it to you to show you where I'm coming from. And it says, when seeking to understand what deception is, a perhaps obvious place to start would be a dictionary. However, dictionaries turn out to be surprisingly poor sources for those seeking clarity on the topic. For example, the Oxford Dictionary of English defines deception as to deliberately cause someone to believe something that is not true, especially for personal gain. This definition falls short in several respects. First, it implies that truth or falsehood is a binary either-or state, i.e. things are true or not true and does not consider the possibility of varying degrees of truth, partial truths, subjective truths, contested truths, and unknown truths. A second problem is that the definition cannot accommodate situation in which a deceiver wishes their target to not believe a situation that is true. The definition, therefore, is unable to accommodate situations in which an entity is operating covertly and wishes the target to have no suspicion, let alone belief as to their real identity or behavior. A third more fundamental problem with this definition is that it is entirely feasible to deceive a target without lying and by communicating using nothing but the truth. This form of deceptive strategy is referred to as paltering and can be lingual or temporal in nature. This important and often overlooked fact highlights the limited utility and value of lying and lie detection paradigms for making sense of the broader field of deception. So that is from a magic book talking about deception, you know, and kind of what the nature is. And it brought up this term called paltering, P-A-L-T-E-R-I-N-G, which I I had actually never heard of this term. Fascinating term. Um, And let's talk about paltering for uh, a second and what that is. And, um, Paltering, this is from another source here. Paltering is the active use of truthful statements to convey a misleading impression. So it is the active use of truthful statements to convey a misleading impression. Now, one of the most uh, famous examples of paltering was when Bill Clinton had the <laughs> thing with Monica Lewinsky. And they actually give the example here. Jim Lehrer said on um, PBS, He said, so no improper relationship. Define what you mean by that. And President Clinton said, well, I think you know what it means. It means there is not a sexual relationship, an improper sexual relationship or any other kind of improper relationship. And Jim Lehrer says, you had no sexual relationship with this young woman? And President Clinton says, there is not a sexual relationship. That is accurate. 
Now, referring to his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, he claimed there is not a sexual relationship. Later, the Star Commission discovered that there was. But during the interview, Clinton made a claim that was technically true by using the present tense word is, but his statement was intended to mislead, right? We all remember that. Um, now, there are some technical terms about this type of thing, too, you know, uh, and some of it is in magic, uh, you know, and I apologize if I'm getting a little too technical here. And they're called expiring truths or expired truths, you know. What Clinton had engaged in is is denying an expired truth. That truth had already expired, and he denied that expired truth. <laughs> so he was he's telling the truth of the present by denying an expired truth because he's no longer in it. An expiring truth is a little different. In the moment, something is true, but it's going to expire very soon thereafter. You know, like in a card trick. A magician may, and I'm not giving anything away here to my magic friends about card tricks, but say somebody picks a card and, you know, they lose in a deck and shuffling saying, now I have no idea what your card is. And that's true. The magician is true. But at some point, the magician's going to find out what that card is. And so that is an expiring truth. You know, he'll have his secret ways of doing it. But at the time he tells you he doesn't know what your card is, he's telling you the truth. But that truth is rapidly expiring. Okay. So anyhow, um, I'm just giving you some examples of how how deception works and how, you know, it's a little different from lying. One thing that this book asks is, is it possible to deceive oneself? Let's talk about that for a second. And it says, it seems logically coherent to conceptualize deception as a transactional act that is committed intentionally by one person or organization against another. However, many students of deception suggest that deception does not entail a deceiver fooling a target. Instead, that the target always deceives themselves. However, the notion of a target somehow being able to fool themselves seems intrinsically paradoxical, right? Um, so let's look at these three different ways that a target can fool themselves. The intentionalist perspective. The intentionalist perspective posits that self-deception, in effect, operates internally on the same basis as interagency deception, whereby a deceiver intentionally seeks to induce their own erroneous beliefs. This creates a situation in which the self-deceived person holds a true belief while at the same time incorrectly believing the contrary. The view requires that the deceiver's belief system can notionally be partitioned so that one part believes the truth and this part intentionally brings about the erroneous belief in the other part. For example, in Aesop's fable about the fox and the grapes, a hungry fox first sights some grapes that appear purple, ripe, and sweet. But after he realizes he cannot reach them, he decides that they are too green to eat. He therefore intends to deceive himself and is left holding on to parallel contradictory views. Okay, now there's another one called the motivationist perspective. An alternate view, uh, the motivationist perspective, posits that strong desire for certain incorrect beliefs about the world to be true can lead to these desired beliefs overriding and eventually replacing original correct beliefs about the world. For example, consider person A whose partner person B dies unexpectedly. Person A's desire to reconnect with person B is so strong that they decide to visit a psychic, despite being highly skeptical about their claims. As a result of the psychic stating that they have made contact with person B and seeming to pass on detailed personal information, 
they're involved in a deception, by the way, from them. Person A's skeptical beliefs are overwhelmed and replaced by the belief that it's actually possible to communicate with the dead. In this case, there is no intent for person A to deceive themselves as the deception occurs only as a side effect of the desire to believe. They didn't intend to deceive themselves. They just wanted to believe. Uh, there's also no requirement to hold conflicting views as one view becomes replaced by another. So in that case, you don't have to partition. Now, this last one, and thanks for listening to this, you guys. I know it's a little um, technical here, but I love this. This is the deflationist perspective. A third view, the deflationist perspective, suggests that self-deception occurs as a consequence of biased cognitive processing that is itself the product of the motivational states of the subject. For example, I strongly wish something incorrect to be true. I may pay more attention to information that confirms or supports my wish than information that weakens or disconfirms it. We call this confirmation bias and some of that, but it's very powerful in this sense when when you really had that desire. At some point, in light of all the positive supporting evidence I have collected that supports my wish, I am led overwhelmingly to the conclusion that my incorrect incorrect belief must be true. For example, if I am open-minded and thus undecided as to the possibility that the moon landings may have been faked, I may decide to research the matter for myself. Online searches takes me to a site that provides some shocking, exciting, and possibly plausible information that, if true, would prove that the moon landings are faked. As a result, I conduct further searches looking for additional evidence that corroborates this information and happen to find plenty. After some time conducting further research, the amount of evidence I have gathered showing that the moon landings are faked is so overwhelming, and with so little evidence available to me that suggests otherwise, that I now have no choice but to believe that the moon landings were a hoax. In this manner, my desire for something to be true has biased the information I search for and subsequently find, which in turn leads me to search for more of the same type of information. And eventually the weight of this one-sided evidence is so overwhelming that I am compelled to adopt a false belief. I believe that many of the people, because I want to give people the benefit of the doubt here. There are some people with horrible intentions. And I, I agree with you guys on that. But I honestly do believe that many people have been involved in a mass deception, have been duped, and have in, been involved in a self-deception. You know, they're they're complicit in this as well. And the Machiavellian nature of it is sprinkling the truth in it to, you know, just make it irresistible for some people and make it hard to shake off. And that's why this is different than just lying. When Trump says, and when his minions say that there were irregularities in this election, that's true. There are irregularities in every election. <laughs> that is not a false statement. <laughs> you know, some dead people voted in this election. That is true. Uh, people, that happens in every election too, where there are irregularities or people who have died, someone either votes for them or there's something happens. But the fact of the matter is, when they said that about Georgia, that was two instances of that, not the thousands that they said. But they're using a truth to deceive people about this lie, you know, and there are many more examples of that. So what I'm saying is that the overwhelming, uh, deception that Trump has has laid upon the people who really believed in him and wanted him to make a difference and all that stuff was mixing 
elements of the truth. And I used to say this about Trump with some issues where I would say, well, it's Trump's not wrong. He's just far from right. <laughs> you know, like Trump's not wrong when he talks about how China is misusing this relationship and trade. He's just not right <laughs> in the manner in which he both discusses it and wants to solve it. You know, um, Trump's not wrong when he says we shouldn't have open borders. He's just wrong to be calling Mexicans rapists and talking about this wall, you know. Uh, but there are, uh, anyhow, I just wanted to get this across there. It is more than this is a man who lies. This is a man who, with the complicity of, of others and with people who so much wanted to believe in this person, have been involved in a mass deception. When you are deceived about something, this goes into your entire body, you know, and this allows you to uh, do things that you probably would never do, as well as people who would definitely do those things as well, you know. So, anyhow, that's just my little take on this. Um, like I said, I don't want to go too far in this, but um, I just want you to know that's where I was coming from on, on this. And it's real interesting because when you see someone like Joe Biden, who I always say, you know, like Joe Biden is a regular politician, so he's going to lie now and then, but he lies the way politicians does. And I made this joke about Hillary. I said the difference between Hillary and Trump is Hillary Clinton lies like a politician. Trump lies like a crackhead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a desperate manner in which he lies. But now I realize it's more than a crackhead. You know, it's, uh, you know, he's involved in a mass deception. And by the way, the mass deception was not started by Trump. That deception has been started by the alt-right. And as Trump kind of rode its coattails to dizzying heights in dizzying depths now, you know. But it is something to look out for. So I will just say this to conclude, guys. When you're looking like on Twitter and out in the news and Fox and all these places or wherever where you think, you know, uh, that lying has to occur for uh, something false to be happening, that's not necessarily true. Tucker Carlson engages in a lot of this too. Many times paltering is going on. Or different types of deceptions where they're giving you enough truth, but in the process of giving you this truth, what they're really doing is conveying a deception. They're leading you down the path to a deception, and many times they're doing that with the truth. And that's what makes it complicated sometimes. And that's what you need to be on the lookout. All right, there you go. When you think on about what it's like to be fooled, and, and we've all been fooled, you know, you sort of think, I can't believe it. But there are many other aspects to this mass deception, to the techniques of propaganda uh, that we should all be aware of as part of critical thinking. These are genuinely important issues because they deal with how people really are convinced and the challenges people face in admitting they may be mistaken as every single one of us has been at some point in our lives. The methods and techniques of propaganda, persuasion, and paltering are all being used all the time to manipulate us, to distract us. That big organizations, political parties, governments, corporations, you name it, they have a huge amount of money. They hire PR firms, and part of the job, depending on how ethical that PR firm is, is to do just that, to minimize things, to distract things, to make things go away. The way people react when they learn that they're being deceived is tied into shame or loss of face. You haven't just made a mistake, you've been duped, and that, that's painful. 
people don't want to be known as victims. It broadcasts that they are vulnerable. And that's sort of the funny part about the tests that a magic show puts you through. You're going there to be deceived. You know that you're going to be deceived because you know that it's not real, but it seems real. So there's that game there as an audience member. But the interesting thing is, is that we experience that kind of deception in other parts of our lives. You know, having beliefs challenged in this way is deeply distressing. Our sense of self is wrapped up in how we see the world, our values, what is important, who is important. If something challenges those beliefs, including facts and evidence, people resist. But when people were convinced that the world operates differently, accepting that new evidence can leave people feeling unmoored and uncertain because they no longer trust their own judgment. It's disorienting. And in some cases, it can really be shattering. So as a consequence, people react very strongly when core beliefs are challenged. It's a, it's a taboo reaction. If you talk about it, if you challenge that, you're doing something that's forbidden. In some cases, we think of that around religion or faith, where people are reacting as a taboo if you're challenging something that is perceived as sacred, if you're doing something that's offensive because you are profaning uh, something that's respected or revered, or a person who's respected or revered. That's a real challenge. And so you get that taboo reaction because people are trying to protect both of themselves and what they stand for. But the other is that there's so much that's negative that's associated with being scammed. It's thought that you know people should have known better, that they fell prey to a scam because they were being greedy or because they failed due to some moral weakness or character flaw. The sad truth of the grifter is they don't play on the worst of who people are. They don't just play on the worst of who people are. They may well prey on the best of what people offer, on people's sympathies, empathy, people's trusting nature, generosity, the desire for a human connection. And that's why we have to guard against these scams and recognize their predatory and really cruel nature. And it's why knowing about paltering helps us pick apart manipulation and evasions. But the rules that con men follow, and this is from the 90s book of lists, can show you how it works. And this is, the list just starts off, don't get conned, nine rules con men follow. And this is from Victor the Count Lustig, who lived from 1890 to 1947, and he devoted his life to scamming and cheating people. His most famous con came in 1922 when he sold the Eiffel Tower to a greedy scrap metal dealer for $50,000. But here are the rules that Lustig followed when dealing with a potential victim, you know, who were called things like marks and suckers. Number one, be a good listener. Two, never give political opinions until the mark has expressed his and then agree. Three, Wait for the mark to reveal his religion and then become a member of the same church. Four, hint at sex, but don't pursue it unless the mark is eager to explore the subject. Five, never discuss personal ailments unless the mark shows an interest in the subject. Six, never be untidy or drunk, yet always be ready for a party. Seven, never appear bored. Eight, never pry. Let the mark volunteer information. 9. Never brag. Let the mark sense your success. The person who you want to convince, 
you are one of them. The reason we teach critical thinking in the scientific method and have rules of evidence and law, why we have compliance in business, it's about what counts as important and valuable and making sure that information is accurate. And we can all be fooled. We may even fool ourselves. And that was exactly the caution the great teacher and physicist Richard P. Feynman made, especially to scientists. He said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. There is a challenge in all this in a sea of information where there are fewer and fewer sources that are considered trustworthy is that this is a very dangerous place to be. There is a point where no one knows what to believe anymore. And that is the purpose of the disinformation of propaganda, not just to persuade people of a particular point of view, but to have followers be so cynical and gullible at the same time. And this is from Open Culture, where it talks about the techniques that are used in totalitarian societies to control people. And this is citing Hannah Arendt, who developed the idea of the banality of evil when she saw Eichmann's trial uh, as a criminal, as a war criminal uh, in the Nuremberg trials. Arendt, on the other hand, looked closely at the regimes of Hitler and Stalin and their functionaries, at the ideology of scientific racism, and at the mechanism of propaganda in fostering, quote, a curiously varying mixture of gullibility and cynicism with which each member is expected to react to the changing lying statements of the leaders. So she wrote in her 1951 origins of totalitarianism, going on to elaborate that this mixture of gullibility and cynicism is prevalent in all ranks of totalitarian movements. She wrote, in an ever-changing, incomprehensible world, the masses had reached the point where they would, at the same time, believe everything and nothing, think that everything was possible and nothing was true. The totalitarian mass leaders based their propaganda on the correct psychological assumption that under such conditions, one could make people believe the most fantastic statements one day and trust that if the next day they were given irrefutable proof of their falsehood, they would take their refuge in cynicism instead of deserting the leaders who had lied to them. They would protest that they'd known all along the statement was a lie and would admire the leaders for their superior tactical cleverness. Why the constant, often blatant lying? For one thing, it functioned as a means of fully dominating subordinates, who would have to cast aside all their integrity to repeat outrageous falsehoods, and would then be bound to the leader by shame and complicity. Now, this is a quote from the McGill University political philosophy professor Jacob D. Levy. The great analysts of truth and language in politics, including George Orwell, Hannah Arendt, Vaclav Havel, can help us recognize this kind of lie for what it is. Saying something obviously untrue and making your subordinates repeat it with a straight face in their own voice is a particularly startling display of power over them. It's something that was endemic to totalitarianism. Arendt and others recognized, writes Levy, that being made to repeat an obvious lie makes it clear that you are powerless. She also recognized the function of an avalanche of lies to render a populace powerless to resist, the phenomenon we now refer to as gaslighting. The result of a consistent and total substitution of lies for factual truth is not that the lie will now be accepted as truth and truth be defamed as a lie, but 
that the sense by which we take our bearings in the real world and the category of truth versus falsehood is among the mental means to this end is being destroyed. The epistemological ground thus pulled out from under them most would depend on whatever the leader said, no matter its relation to truth. The essential conviction shared by all ranks, Arendt concluded, from fellow traveler to leader, is that politics is a game of cheating, and that the first commandment of the movement, the Fuhrer is always right, is necessary for the purposes of world politics, i.e. worldwide cheating, as the rules of military discipline are for the purposes of war. And finally, some words from Carl Sagan. For all that he was not a religious man, he's describing that very deadly sin, the sin of pride. One of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. That's from Carl Sagan, The Demon Haunted World. I'll just say, part of the reason I found this so fascinating, this insight, especially from Larry Wilmore, about paltering, was that, you know, as a politician and somebody who worked in PR, you struggle sometimes to deal with someone who has managed to pack seven lies into a five-word sentence. So how do you figure that out? And at the same time, to explain how it is that they're being so dishonest even though the different elements they've taken together are all true. Um, I'll get to that in some of the future podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this one. I really, really enjoyed uh, working on it. And uh, this is stuff that's really important, not just now, but always, about understanding how you can be deceived and making sure that you don't deceive yourself. Big challenges. The biggest challenges of life. That's it. If you're enjoying this, please let other people know. Uh, share it online consider signing up as a paid subscriber as well it's uh we're getting lots of people signing up from all over the world and stuff so i really appreciate it i'm grateful for all the support that i'm getting so um please if you enjoy it let people know and share thanks so much bye-bye